Bible. Just raise your hands nice and high. Just to add to one word that Scott said, if you own a Bible, please leave the Bible here after the service. Because someone, had, we're just, our Bibles have been going fast, and either you're losing your Bibles really quick, or there's stacks and stacks of, of Bibles at your home that you're like uh, using as a seat for your guests or something. <laughs> but but if you do, seriously, if you don't own a Bible, uh, please uh, feel free just to take one. Matthew chapter 8. I know you guys, you're... You're well slept this morning and you're going to pay attention. I will say that I realized when I was in the shower that I forgot to turn my clock uh, forward. But uh, So I've had the same amount of sleep, but uh, I hope that didn't happen to you. But uh, in any event, we are in chapter 8, verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Verse 23, Now when he had got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Let's pray. Lord, in our hearts, we want to follow you this morning. And I just pray that you would teach us how, Lord, through your word. And Father, just for all of us, Lord, whether we've had enough sleep or not, Lord, I just pray that um, you just open up our, our minds and eyes and, and our hearts and that the eyes of our heart would be attentive to your word this morning. And I just pray, Lord God, we, we don't want to miss anything you have for us, Lord. And I just pray that you, God, out of your grace, Great grace and mercy, Lord God, that we'd receive from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, please greet one another. In Matthew chapters 5 through 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus opened up the heart of God for all to see in a way that had really never been done before. It was a a historical moment really when he was up there teaching on the mount and he taught us how we're supposed to live if we really want to live for God if 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 we want that righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees that righteousness which which Jesus said in Matthew 5:22 that we need to have to enter the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 5:46 he said, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? 
Do not even the evil people do that? And if you greet your family and friends only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the evil people do that? Now let me tell you, it is so easy to get up in a pulpit or on top of a soapbox, like the pulpit that I'm standing at right now, and preach those words and really mean them. And it's so easy. Actually, there is one thing that's easier than that, and that is to hear those words and really agree with them. But what about doing them? Loving people regardless of who they are and what they've done to you. What about going out and actually doing what Jesus says? Well, let me tell you from personal experience, without the life of Christ at work in you, you will flop. Before you even leave church today, you will flop. I mean, you'll get up from this message and, and you'll be thinking, yeah, I, I can't agree more about this stuff about love. I mean, I can't just love my family and friends. Anyone can do that. I have to love everyone. And then you'll turn around and, I mean, you haven't even left the church yet. You haven't even left your seat. And, and here in front of you is someone who really aggravates you or someone who you just don't know. Or maybe it's someone from the street who looks and acts and smells a lot different than you care for. And you think about that love stuff and then you think, I don't think so when you scurry away. Off to your comfort zone, wherever that may be. And and I'm not telling you this to sort of lay something on you. I'm telling you this from personal experience. Without Jesus actively living in and through you, you don't have the slightest hope of living what you believe. The good news is this. If you have given your life to Christ and surrendered your life to him, he can and will do it through you. Let's just look at his example. Uh, no sooner did he stop teaching these things in Matthew 5 through 7, uh, it says that he came down the mountain and he did them. He did the words. It's a new phrase for you. He did the words. He goes right up to a leper, a leper, the most universally despised and loathed human being on earth at that time. People threw rocks at them. They ran away from them. Most people believed that they were lepers because they had committed some kind of sin, and now they were under a curse. The first thing Jesus does after telling people that in order to have the righteousness that heaven requires, they love people regardless of who they are, right after telling people that, before he even left church, basically, or he was like leaving church, if you will, he goes right up to a leper that approaches him, and he, he touches the leper and heals him. That's in the first few verses of Matthew chapter 8. Then he meets with a centurion, a Gentile. Now, as we talked about last week, the, the Jews hated the Gentiles. They called them dogs. Now, don't think that the feeling wasn't mutual because the Romans, the Gentiles, knew how much the Jews looked down on them. And they despised them for it. Listen to Tacitus 
a Roman historian writing at this time describing the Jews. The Jews are always ready to have compassion for each other, but they regard the rest of the world with the hatred reserved for enemies. Among the Jews, all things are immoral that we hold sacred, and they regard as permissible what seems to us immoral. The other practices of the Jews are perverse and disgusting and owe their strength to the very, their very wickedness. How flattering. The Gentiles hated the Jews for hating them. Nevertheless, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus, after going from one enemy of the people, a leper, he goes to another, a Gentile, a Roman centurion, and after hearing this Gentile's faith, he gives them a compliment that was probably the highest compliment he had ever given to anybody, other with one exception, John the Baptist. And, and, and then he heals this Gentile slave, and then he heals the... Uh, then he heals a woman, a slave and a woman, two other people that were held in low regard at that time in the world. So Jesus not only talked about love, he practiced it. And he said, he not only said the words, he did the words. And here's the good news. If you have given your life to him, he lives inside of you. He lives inside of you. In, in 2 Corinthians, the last chapter, Paul, he's pleading with the Corinthians. He's pleading with them to live after Christ in the power of God. And he says, don't you realize that Jesus Christ is inside of you? And if any of you this morning are thinking about giving up trying to live the way the Bible says you're supposed to live, with the Apostle Paul, I say this, what do you mean give up? Do you not realize that Jesus Christ lives inside of you? you can and will be a doer of God's word. Not just a hearer, a doer, because Jesus Christ lives inside of you. He came down from the mountain and did exactly what he preached. And you can too, in him and with him. So in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 8, It says that when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. He healed all who were sick. So people found out about these miracles that he had done when he got, when he got down from the mountain, the miracles with the, the leper, the centurion, the, uh, and, the, and Peter's mother-in-law. And they started coming out of the woodwork. And people who have been oppressed by sickness and pain, I mean, they will go anywhere and do anything to get rid of their problem. And so they start coming out of the woodwork and they're literally descending on the place where Jesus is, is staying. And it says in verse 16, he cast out the spirits with a word. So here again, you see uh, this authority. We talked last week about the authority of Jesus, how uh, he has complete authority over every issue, every trial, every burden, every sickness in your life. And, and with a single word, if he chooses, he can bring about change. And then it says he healed all who were sick. All who were sick. All. A-L-L. -L. He healed. 
In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All of you. Now, if you're a Christian and you're living for God, you will experience what the Bible calls spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare can take on a variety of forms. But one of the things that will happen, one of those forms, is that Satan will try to convince you that there is one exception to the first we just read. All of you who come to me, I will give you rest. There's one exception. You. You're that one exception. All except you. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 that Satan night and day is standing before God accusing the children of God. Now this may sound strange and please I'm trying to spook you here. You guys know I, I don't do that. But uh, it's entirely possible that Satan and God have had a conversation about you. Satan bringing up your name, your name, Sue Eisner. So I got her to pay attention. Or Peter Olejnik or, or whoever, your name before God. This can't, person can't be one of your children. Look at what she has done. Look at what she is doing now. Look at her thought life. Look at the pride, the lust, the selfishness. How many more times are you going to let her do this? How many more times are you going to let her off? All the things in your life that you wish so bad you could forget. All the things you wish so you could go back and sort of live your life over and not do them. Satan is bringing them up to God. Now God's answer is always the same. Okay, you're right, but my son Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for all those sins, and as far as I'm concerned, it's just as if she never sinned. And so God has an answer for Satan. Now, but let me tell you, uh, if God is doing the, if Satan is doing this with God, who he can't convince, believe me, he's going to be doing it with you and me, who. Tragically, many times, he can convince. He will line up your ugly past in front of you and try to convince you that you've been disqualified from ever being able to be a child of God. You know, virtually every Christian I've ever known has struggled at one time or another with thoughts like this. You know, what if there's some defect in me that prevents me from being accepted by God? What if there's something different about me that disqualifies me? What if I'm under a curse? What if I'm just not one of his children? Maybe I'm the one he will turn away. Consider Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. It says that Jesus healed all who were sick. In other words, all. He turned no one, uh, no one away. Let me be very clear on this point. If you come to God with an open heart, he will not turn you away. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, To as many who received him, to as many who believed in his name, 
He gave the right to be sons of God to as many, in other words, to anybody who was willing to come to him. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All, all, all. All. You must get it out of your head that there's something different about you, different about your past. You're no different than anyone else, and Christ has died for everyone's sin. And notice that he healed all their sickness without any questions or requirements. And he was not sitting there telling people before he healed them, you know, I'm not going to heal you. You killed two people in a bar in a barroom fight. I'm not going to heal you. You've been carousing with prostitutes. I'm not going to heal you. You hate your father and your sister. I'm not going to heal you. You have a bitter, unforgiving heart. I'm not going to heal you. You haven't done enough good deeds. You haven't worked enough at the synagogue. You haven't given enough money you haven't done enough volunteer time jesus asked no questions he just healed all who came to him now this doesn't mean that if you have a physical illness jesus will always heal it because the bible is clear illness will not pass away completely until we get new bodies bodies that haven't been tainted with the sin of Adam, which we inherited from our parents. But what it does mean is that he will not turn you away if you come to him, and he will accept you just the way you are. He will not turn you away if you come to him. He will accept you just the way you are. However, he will not let you stay that way. And, and that's where a lot of people get things wrong. You know, I agree 100% that God accepts everyone, you know, including. He accepts homosexuality and homosexuals. He accepts them just the way they are. I, I, the Bible teaches that. But the, the, the big divergence now that's happening is that the Bible teaches that he doesn't want them to stay that way. He doesn't want them to stay that way. And that's where the next few verses come in. Verses 18 says, When Jesus saw the great multitudes, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. And actually we're going to be there for most of the rest of the sermon. Luke chapter 9, one book over, verses... 57 through 62. Verse 57 repeats the same incident we just heard. It says, Now it happened as they journeyed to the road that someone said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 59 continues, Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. 
Now Luke adds this last one in verse 61. It says, Another said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to them, said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, what we don't know is, remember the next verse in chapter 8, verse 23. You have your finger there. What what happened? It says, Then the disciples got into the boat and they left. What we don't know is if any of these three guys got into the boat with him. We don't know that. More on that later. The point for now is this Jesus will never turn you away if you come to him, and he will accept you just the way you are. You may have a raging temper. You may have reduced everyone who you care for and love in your life uh, to, t- uh, to tears and anguish. You may have lived your whole life fighting to get ahead, cheating, backstabbing, manipulating your way to the top. Uh, you may be a-, a drunk, a thief. You may have had many spouses, many uh, kids with each one, many abortions. You may have created a colossal mess out of your life and the lives around you. Jesus will accept you just the way you are. However, he will not let you stay where you are. And if that is your intention, believe me, you're not going to get in the boat with him. You're not, not because he's preventing you, just because you're going to choose not to. Jesus speaks to three men here. With each one, he appears to go directly to some issue in their life which is keeping them from fully devoting their lives to him. The first one says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nets, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, it's true that Jesus does not appear to have had a house. In John chapter 7, after teaching at the uh, temple, it says, it says Everyone, every man went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Apparently, he like, spent the night under the stars, you know. But this verse is not about whether or not you have a house. We just read in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 last week, Jesus went to Peter's house and healed his mother-in-law. So the point is not that you know Jesus wants you to have a house or not. His point is when you come to him, you are pulling up your anchor from the world. You're pulling it up. You're cutting ties to the world. You're letting go, and, and, and you're letting God do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants with your life. Now, if you think about that, that's a pretty scary thought. I mean, just completely cutting all ties to the world and handing over your future to God, who you can't see. It's a, spir- uh, it's a pretty scary thought, except for one thing. God loves you. He loves you so much. Think about that one person you love more than anyone else in the the world. God loves you infinitely more than that person. And whatever he does with you, whenever, however, wherever, it will be awesome. It will be a blessed life, an abundant life. Sometimes difficult, Sometimes a narrow road. Yes, we just learned that too a few weeks ago. But it will be the abundant life. So this first guy says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. But yet Jesus knew he had some kind of tie to the world. 
that he was not going to let go. The next guy, it says in Luke 10:59, says, uh, says Jesus said to another guy, follow me, come follow me. And the guy says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, I've always thought that a perfectly acceptable way to interpret this verse is just what it says. Some guy's father has just died. And Jesus told the guy, hey, come and follow me. And the guy says, well, let, first let me bury my father. And Jesus says, you let the dead bury the dead. You come with me. I think it's perfectly acceptable way to interpret this verse is, is just that actually happened. And there's two principles that you learn from it. One, there's no excuse, however reasonable, to the world. There's no excuse, however reasonable, to the world that is acceptable to God when it comes to following him. The world will always think that your, your walk with God is, is crazy and unreasonable and stupid. But you need to just continue following him. The second thing is this. Whenever someone says, but Lord, you know, but Lord, I got to go bury my father. Rest assured that if there's one but Lord, there's lots of other but Lords from where that came from. And that's why Jesus is saying, let the dead bury their dead. You know, you come with me. He's, he, he's rebuking him. He's, uh, he's exposing the man's heart, and, 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 which is rooted in self and other things other than God. And, and he's not willing to give those things up. I think that's a perfectly acceptable way to read this. However, that's the minority. Most commentators believe uh, that something else is going on. There's an expression that apparently you can still hear today in the Mideast, Middle East, where people say, you know, hey, I can't go with you right now. First, I, I got to bury my father. And the expression is just another way of saying, I can't help you now. I must take care of my father and his family, my father who's perfectly alive and healthy, but I got to take, uh, uh, take care of him and, and his affairs uh, until he dies. And I actually read, uh, preparing for this study, a number of uh, commentators and, and people, a number of people who have actually heard someone say this. One guy uh, was traveling around and he needed a guide for a few months and he went up and asked an Arab uh, man, said, hey, I need you to be my guide. Can you go with me for a few months? And the guy said, no, first uh, let me bury my father. And his father was standing right next to him, perfectly healthy. I mean, if you did that in this country, you know, you'd be swatted upside the head by your father. But, you know, there, it's like a sign of respect, right? It's a sign of respect, but it's what this man in Luke 9.59 used as an excuse for going on with the Lord. You know, Jesus says in Luke 14, some astonishing verse he says if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother wife and children brothers and sisters yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple now if you ever wondered what jesus meant by that 
the verse we're in right now is a great parallel verse. Does Jesus mean you're, you're actually supposed to hate your father, mother, and wife? Of course not. Jesus commands us to, to love our enemies. How much more our own family? Is, is Jesus saying that we're not supposed to bother to take care of our family? Of course not. The Apostle Paul says that he who does not take care of his family is worse than an infidel. Eek! That's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is that we cannot let our family who many times are not fully following the Lord and have many ulterior motives of what they want for our lives, we cannot let them be a drag on our life after the Lord or inappropriately influence our decisions for the Lord. And that is exactly what this guy is doing in chapter 9, verse 59. He has a divided heart. And if the truth be told, his family has most of his, far, of his uh, heart. Now, Jesus is making this point to this man. You know, this world may think that it's a real noble thing that you're telling me right now. The world may think it's just real charitable and giving and, and altruistic uh, to be saying, you know, I've got to stay back and, and take care of my family. But what's really going on here is you are putting yourself before God and Jesus proceeds to give one of the most harsh rebukes in the Bible. Let the dead bury the dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Ouch. I mean, that one must have hurt. But you know, that's the great thing about the Lord. When we need it, he will let us have it. And you know, we need to be grateful for that. Let the dead bury the dead in other words you're trying to make out like you're this hyper spiritual magnanimous loving giving kind of guy but i tell you your your heart in this matter is no different than someone who is dead to god let the dead bury the dead you come and follow me in verse 61 we see one more guy come to jesus this one is not recorded in Matthew chapter 8. It says, another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, knowing no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This is another but Lord, right? Jesus is not, of course, advocating vanishing from your home so that one day from one day to the next you are gone and you don't return for two months never mind that your family is frantic and the police are looking for you and there's you know your your mug is appearing on milk cartons and missing signs all over the country you know with an award type of thing you know he's not advocating that what jesus is 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 addressing here is is this guy just doesn't like the timing. You know, not now, God. i got to go do this. So he just throws, you know, an excuse out. And it was more than he just wanted to say goodbye. No, if this guy, if he doesn't change his attitude, if this attitude remains in his heart, and he goes and he gets in the boat and he goes into the lake with Jesus, and he leaves these certain loyalties behind, he would have been in this struggle for the rest of his life 
on the one hand following Jesus and on the other following these certain loyalties that he, he left behind and, and looking back to what he had left. And you'll, you're never able to serve God in that way. If you really want to follow Jesus, there are certain things that you have to let go, and if you don't, they will hinder your walk with God, and eventually you may even return to them. You have to put them on the altar of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. Part of what that means is, is giving over things to him that the world may think is perfectly okay to hang on to. But you know, deep in your heart, they will be a drag on your walk with God. If you don't give them up, your hand will be on the plow, but you'll constantly be looking back. And, you know, you, you guys probably aren't farmers, but you know what happens when someone is trying to plow and he's looking back, right? You know, it's this sort of deal. No one who puts his hand at the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, Jesus said. You know, one of the most evil places in the history of the world was Sodom. So evil that a visitor could not come into the city without the risk of being raped by the men of the city. In order to save the rest of the world, God decided to destroy the city. But before he did, he went and he got Lot and his wife. And when, he, and when Lot and his wife were a good deal uh, away from the city, it says that Lot's wife looked back. Now, Hebrew scholars actually say that what, what a better translation is, she started walking back. She, she turned back and she started going back to Sodom. And the Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt, and which, by the way, archaeologists have found vast, the whole area around there today is just filled with salt. There is something about evil, and Sodom was an evil place. There's something about evil that is dangerously attractive to our hearts. So attractive that it will continue to lure us back if we just don't completely give it to the Lord. Jesus says when you come to him to be fit for the kingdom of God, you have to cut loose those things, those dangerous attractions that will get in between you and God. If your attitude is, well, I'm just, I'm not ready to give this up now. Jesus has this very strong rebuke. He goes, well, then you're not fit for the kingdom of God. And he'll get on his boat and go off with his disciples doesn't mean that someone loses their salvation. It just means that they're not going to participate in what God has for them. Now, if you could go back with me to Matthew chapter 8, and we will we'll close this out. Again, verse 23. 
23 says that his disciples followed him into the boat. Now notice how in verse 21 it says that the guy who said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father, that was a disciple. Verse 21 says, then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. I wonder if this guy, this disciple, got into the boat. I wonder if the other two guys got into the boat. It doesn't say which way they went. It doesn't say either way. And I'm glad the Bible uh, left it like that. And now it could be that they were like the rich young ruler. You remember the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and asked him, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knew his heart and, and went right to the one thing that was between him and God. And he said to him, give everything you have to the poor. Then come and follow me. And it says the young man walked away greatly saddened because he was very wealthy. You know, it could be that these three guys, that's what happened to them. And when that boat went off, they just sat there watching, greatly saddened as it just went off into the night. It was, it was evening. However, that may not have been the case. It could very well be that they received the correction from the Lord and followed him. It could be that Jesus said to, to the one, you know, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the guy might have said, hey, you know, Lord, you know, that doesn't sound easy, but I'm going to go with you. It could be that he said to the next guy, let the dead bury their dead. And the guy said, you know, you're right. The third guy, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The, the guy may have said, you know, I can't just linger around with my friends and keep looking back. Uh, there will never be a better time than now. I'm going to follow you now. It could be that all three of them got into that boat and went off. I certainly hope that everyone in this room, if there's something that you haven't given to God completely, that you'll give it up and jump in the boat with him. You know, I'd rather be in the boat when that storm happens, which is where we are next week, and have Jesus in complete control of the storm than on the shore in the middle of the storm and Jesus is far away. Think about it. But to close, I want to try to bring this all together and come back to where we began this morning. Matthew 8, verse 16 says, Jesus healed all who came to him. Remember, the issue is never whether God will accept you just the way you are. There's never been any question of that. There's never been a time in the Bible, I challenge you to find one place where someone didn't come to the Lord with a completely open heart who was rejected by God. Never, you'll never find it. The issue really is whether you're going to get in the boat with God. Is there something keeping you from the boat? And I want to really emphasize to you this morning, you know, God is not like some insecure parent who has like this unhealthy desire to control everything uh, about their kid or, or, you know, a husband who's a control freak or paranoid and has to control every little thing that his wife does. That's not why God has this thing about you handing over everything to him. God is supremely healthy in all his thoughts towards you. And he loves you. And he realizes that holding on to anything and not giving it over to God in spiritual terms is like holding on to slavery. 
You know, there are stories about African Americans. After the Civil War, slavery was outlawed, but they didn't, they didn't, they wanted to keep being slaves. They were holding on to their slavery. And it's the same thing here in Luke 9. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's like holding on to slavery, folks. Jesus says, if the Son of Man sets you free, you are free indeed. Let go of the life that is enslaving you. Jesus says the more you give over to him, the more you are set free. So be set free this morning. If you want to do that, it is nothing more than than a prayer of faith, an act of your will. By faith, sticking the stake into the ground and saying, yes, God, I want to let go completely. And please, if... If that describes you, come up after the service and I'll pray through that with you. Okay, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and we thank you that when you set us free, we are free indeed. And Lord, we thank you that all your hearts are 100% loving and holy and healthy towards us, Lord. And that you have authority over every issue in our life. God, I just pray that anyone here this morning who needs their heart rearranged, Father, please do that for them. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for everyone in here, Lord God, that as we go out, we'll go out with just a a greater understanding, Lord Jesus, that you live inside of us if we have given our life to Christ. Strengthen our faith, correct our unbelief. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you. If you need prayer.